0: BDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead.
1: Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. month of June, the Startup Women podcast will be taking a deep dive into LGBT plus entrepreneurship across Canada. What barriers exist for this community when starting a business? Who are some of the change makers in the LGBT plus entrepreneurship space? And what specific support does this community need? To facilitate these important discussions, we couldn't be more excited to welcome Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Entrepreneur and Partnerships at the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce as our guest host. Welcome, Paige! Thank you, Kayla. I'm so excited that myself and the CGLCC have the opportunity to share the important stories of LGBT founders and provide resources for LGBT plus entrepreneurs across the country. This month on the Startup Women podcast, we'll connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations in Canada's LGBT plus startup space, giving you a firsthand look into the LGBT plus entrepreneurship landscape and helping LGBT plus founders make their vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I am your host, Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Entrepreneur and Partnerships of the Canadian LGBT Plus Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the show. We are so excited to have Kate Madden on our show today. Kate is an account manager with GreenShield Canada, where she helps employers and consultants manage their health and dental benefits. She returned to her hometown of Vancouver last year after 20 years in Alberta, where she built a career in financial services, working with some of the largest employers in Western Canada. In addition to working with Proud at Work Canada and the ERG at one of Canada's largest financial institutions, Kate has also developed a reputation as a dynamic community builder, volunteering with gender and sexually diverse youth, and a focus on advocacy and board governance with the Loud Foundation, Gay and Lesbian Trade Association of BC, a mentor with Skipping Stone, and the Alberta LGBTQ2S Plus Chamber of Commerce. Kate is a passionate photographer in her spare time and a parent to six children who live in Nelson, BC. Welcome to the show, Kate. It's so lovely to have you here. How are you?
0: I am uh, fantastic. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much for being willing to sit down with us today. I'm so excited to kind of jump into this interview here. How's your week been going so far?
0: Uh, super busy. Uh, <laughs> lot of, a lot of lot of time sensitive things, um, you know, working Sunday, uh, working, you know, very late Friday, Monday, all through the hockey game on Monday, watching the Leafs lose. Um, <laughs>
1: I'm not a big sports person, but a lot of people I know are very sad that the Leafs lost the other yeah. day. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I, I've noticed a few people crying, but I'm a Canucks fan, so w- w- okay. I can't make fun of them.
1: <laughs> so you weren't that sad? <laughs> no,
0: but uh, yeah, super busy, um, just dealing with some uh, yeah time-sensitive things that needed to get out, and I was the one who uh, had to send it out.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for taking time out of your, your schedule to do this with us. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess before we get started, I just kind of as an overview of what this uh, podcast is going to look like, what are some important takeaways that you kind of want to get across before we jump right into those questions? Uh,
0: you know, we're well, looking through Startup Canada and seeing the focus with with entrepreneurs and having dealt with as many entrepreneurs um, as I have over the years, just in my business as a benefits consultant and working with different insurance carriers. Um, You know, I I think one of the key things I've learned is that scalability is really critical to any startup success or any um, business success. Like once you move past that startup phase as well. And, you know, if your people on your team aren't bringing their full selves to work, if they're not authentically hundred percent themselves, they're not scaling up, your business might not scale up as rapidly or as exponentially as it could otherwise. Uh, And so, yeah, in terms of what uh, I want people to take away from this is hire us, Um, you know, as, as, uh, as trans people, uh, 70% of us have post-secondary education in Canada and you'll get some really amazing, super committed, talented people who could probably help your business in a really creative way, uh, expand uh, in ways you didn't think possible.
1: For sure. And I mean, you've worked in a lot of various sectors from managing and consulting to your YouTube channel to now your role at uh, Green Shields Canada. What does a day at work look like for you? And can you kind of take us on that journey of kind of working in those various sectors?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, YouTube is just a hobby. Um, (laughs) I I have yet to make money from it, Um, but it's a fun thing that I like to do. But uh, yeah, I don't let that interfere with daylight hours, so to speak. That's just kind of a weekend or, or evening thing. Um, but yeah, a day for me is I I, I run on two time zones: on so the Pacific time zone here in Vancouver, and then a lot of the people I'm dealing with uh, are in the east in Toronto. So I'm constantly running, you know, three hours behind, three hours ahead. So I I like to log in seven-ish before seven Vancouver time, just to see what's going on, see if I need to respond to anything immediately. You know, I I think also though, uh, taking time for self-care, like I mentioned, you know, uh, my week's been really crazy busy and a lot of time sensitive things. And I never felt out of control or, you know, so crushed for time, Uh, you know, and and self-care is critical in that and just, going for a walk. It's been beautiful this week. It's going to be 27 or 28 degrees. And uh, I'm lucky that Vancouver, at least the neighborhood I'm in, has like five great coffee shops all within walking distance. And I just go out for a walk, uh, take a moment, just breathe, you know, just check up on Twitter or Instagram, just get away from the emails or writing that RFP or whatever it is you're doing. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: As well, I think calendar management is a critical component of uh, my day. And just, uh, I have six children. Uh, They don't live with me anymore, but um, I'm going to see them in five sleeps now. (laughs) The provincial health restrictions have changed. Uh, But uh, yeah, you know, one of the things I learned being a parent and running, you know, a, a business was that you had to create time and you have to schedule the time and keep the time for yourself and manage your time through the day you know it's not so much that we have careers it's we have lifestyles and how do you integrate that uh, work-life balance I think is a misnomer in that it gives the impression that one is more important than the other when really you know you want to have that that seamless integration so that uh, you know it doesn't necessarily mean working in bed at 10 o'clock next to your partner, but you know, it, it might mean that you can take off from work at two o'clock to take your kid to the field trip or, you know, those nights when you do have to work till 10, uh, your family's on board or your partner's on board.
1: Yeah. And I feel like with six children, that would be uh, a lot to juggle having to work in tight deadlines and then having all the responsibility. of. Being... Uh, you
0: know, it's, it's like an aircraft carrier. <laughs> uh, it's like trying to turn an aircraft carrier and even just, uh, you know, talking with my former spouse and trying to figure out when to meet, what day, where it just reminded me again of how, yeah, challenging it it is to (laughs) move the the aircraft carrier. For
1: sure. And you mentioned that YouTube is kind of your hobby. What kind of, uh, what is your YouTube channel and kind of, what do you chat about on there?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, my YouTube channel, just look up Kate Madden, um, I I do have a personalized uh, YouTube URL, but it's like weird. They assign it, so I've never bothered to memorize it. Um, I I focus in on helping trans people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s kind of navigate transition Mm -hmm. uh, as parents, uh, as spouses, going through divorce, dating, uh, work life, uh, family, friends, just the, the whole kind of like gender transition is not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt as someone in their late 30s, early 40s, um, when I started three and a half years ago, almost four years ago, I didn't have a lot of resources. There are a lot of great resources and a lot of great YouTube channels mm-hmm. um, for trans people in their 20s, late teens kind of thing. And uh, I just wanted to create a resource for others that I feel I, I didn't have.
1: Wow, that is yeah. It's amazing. I feel like yeah. you saw kind of a need for this type of thing and, and to put that out there and to be able to kind of give your own life experiences is, is amazing. 58,000 yeah. people.
0: Uh, yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool. I haven't made any money. Like I said, <laughs> uh, I would love to just get a check for like a dollar. A friend of mine recently got a check for $4 and like 32 cents after years of trying years of working. Um, YouTube for me is just a place like I'm a photographer. That's my one of my hobbies, and it was this place where I could use my camera and use my pho- photography skills, like even just understanding lighting uh, in a room, the different color temperatures, um, how to use that. But then also a place where I could take my business skills um, and, you know, help build the channel, like marketing, scripting, that sort of thing. But what what I found was the hobby also began to really inform my uh, my business. World. And mm-hmm. uh, I recently did a, pre- a presentation, and the VP was like, "I usually check emails during these presentations, but uh, I was just totally captured by the story you told." And, and that's all it is. It's, I told the story, and uh, I've really tried to incorporate narrative technique into my PowerPoint presentations and, and even my emails sometimes.
1: That's that's awesome. And I guess kind of building on that um, kind of work. Uh, management, you are a people manager and you often lead a lot of large teams. What would you say is the the number one quality that a good leader should have?
0: Yeah, so I I don't uh, have any direct reports uh, currently. It's been uh, a little while since I have, but I still have people I have to influence. Um, And so, yeah, having been a people manager in my 20s and 30s, one of the, the really key things I learned was empathy. Mm -hmm. and trying to understand where that person wants to go and just, uh, you know, what motivates them, what gets them out of bed in the morning, what makes them want to come to work and understanding the goals. And so like if with that empathetic ear, helping them get towards that goal, whether that's with you or with someone else. And uh, in the meantime, we can have a great partnership and work towards our mutual goals and then they can be aligned. And if there isn't alignment, you're able to help, move that person into somewhere where they, they could be more aligned. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think, empathy and, and just, you know, understanding we've all got a struggle and we're all fighting our battle and uh, productivity is important, especially when you're paying the, the bill. But at the same point um, you got to treat people with compassion and, and respect. And, and if you don't um, you're probably going to go
1: through a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the turnover will be a little bit higher when you don't see that person for who they are, I imagine. For folks listening that are looking to maybe develop their, their leadership skills, where would you suggest they look? What resources would you suggest they use? Um,
0: you know, there's, there's so much now. <laughs> uh, like the first time I had people, I had nine people reporting to me, I was 23, 24. And my boss gave me a book uh, called Who Moved My Cheese? It was like this little tiny book and that was it that's all I had for <laughs> yeah. leadership development training coaching all of it and like I mean there's some terrible advice in there like uh things like put your hand on the employee's shoulder
1: Ooh, no! <laughs> <laughs>
0: to communicate uh <laughs> looking thinking about it now I'm like uh, I'm glad I didn't take that advice but um you know and that was 20 years ago give or take um there's so many resources now and, and so many uh, opportunities to improve. And I think a lot of this is can be self-taught, Like, you know, they, they are skill sets and, and tools that you can increase in, in your ability to use and understand and execute on, um, you know, like just because that's the way it's always been done. Uh, yeah. Maybe it isn't the best way to do it. And if you're just reading, like, On LinkedIn, there's constantly posts about leadership and um, how to develop people skills and how to help your team execute more effectively in these trying times, or Mm -hmm. or what have you. And I think if you're not even just using the free resources um, for whatever reason, there's also so many coaches out there Mm -hmm. uh, who really can help move you to the next level. You know, like I, I had a boss who always said Tiger Woods as a coach and so should you um, and that's a, a great point
1: for sure and I know that um, when you're a people manager and when you're being a leader it's important to create kind of in- inclusive workplaces for mm-hmm. folks um, and there's still a long way to go to empower and support marginalized communities in corporate spaces specifically um, from your experience what do you see being done and what do you think we could be doing better as a society or in a workplace
0: uh, sure. Um, you know, I, I do see a lot of things being done in the diversity, equity, and inclusion
1: uh, mm-hmm. world,
0: corporately. Um, you know, with a lot of larger organizations, it's Pride Month. Happy Pride Month uh, just started Pride. yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And so my feed is turning rainbow. Like all the cor- on LinkedIn, all the corporations are turning rainbows, and uh, so you know that that's great. But it's not just about gender identity expression or sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of understanding marginalization, uh, or more specifically, understanding how intersectionality can impact uh, a team, a person, an organization, and then helping support those different areas of uh, marginalization and and where they intersect. And then understanding that, you know, just because somebody looks like you, they might have the same answer or solution as you but that person who perhaps you know is a recent immigrant or uh, is a person of color or you know from a socioeconomic background comes from a a different upbringing than you or or, you know gender uh, sexuality whatever like there's opportunities to bring a diversity of thought Mm -hmm. uh, to the workplace and then I think in terms of uh, executing on ideas like you, you can develop creative and imaginative imaginative solutions that Maybe you wouldn't have come to her otherwise, so if it was just five cisgender white males who all went to UBC or U of T business school or whatever, uh, coming up with the same thing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned your, your feed on LinkedIn is all um, kind of turning with pride flags and, and all the corporations are showing their support in that way. But what do you think folks can do beyond the month of June to support folks? In the
0: community. Yeah, um, it's not just a, it's not just pride, you know, like, let's be clear, like, there's so many opportunities to expand in so many different ways. Yeah. And, and what I'm going to say is, uh, I think, uh, inclusive of, you know, like, I, I believe the last week of June is uh, Indigenous Awareness Week. And, um, you know, like, that. that's just the news out of Kamloops and mm-hmm. uh, knowing that there's, there's more um, more things to be found out, more truth before reconciliation comes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we have different um, Black Awareness Month and so on and so forth. So I, I think um, when it comes to allyship, you need to be active, like it needs to be active. And so there's more of you than there are of us, uh, you know, so to speak. If you're out there listening, mm-hmm. uh, like people who are marginalized need others to create space for them um it's by and large uh we don't have access to space we don't have the ability to speak for ourselves so when that space is created step out of the way and hand us the microphone uh let us share our lived experiences and um you know I think just asking yourself like what are you doing to support the community that you are celebrating in any particular week, day, or month. And so if you turn your logo orange for uh, residential school survivors, if you are turning it rainbow um, for Pride Month, um, Mm -hmm. like if if you're not actively engaging those specific communities through support, as an entrepreneur or as uh, as a large business, uh, I think you're doing it wrong and you're just doing it for performative reasons um, that, that don't really benefit anyone.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I mean, having a, a plan in place that you're going beyond the, the week month or maybe a yeah. couple months that you, you claim to support this, the community, I think it's important to kind of look at what you're doing every day in order to, in order to support them. I, I completely agree with you. And I know in terms of kind of support and helping the, specifically the LGBTQ plus community um, with organizations like Loud Business and the Alberta LGBTQ plus Chamber of Commerce, can you speak a little bit to your experiences being a mentor for the community? um, And what's the value of tailored community specific mentorship?
0: Yeah, uh, I think that the key value is sharing our lived experiences. Um, you know, I, I think the difference between a community and a movement is intergenerational dialogue. Like that, that's something I really came to realize early on in my uh, transition Mm
1: -hmm.
0: was just that, yeah, intergenerational dialogue where, you know, not just that I'm older, like, I mean, I've only been out of the closet for three years, four years, but, you know, listening to stories of queer elders from the eighties who lived through the AIDS crisis and and how that impacted them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just sharing with uh, younger trans kids uh, that there is a future, that they can uh, find happiness or find a job, um, that it's not all suffering. Like You, you can be joyful and transition. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Um, so I think, yeah, lived experience sharing lived experiences is, is critical um, from yeah, that tailored um, the community approach, uh, you know, and and yeah, mentorship has just been so rewarding. Like just giving my time, um, whether you know it's serving as a member of the board of directors and just providing governance, or you know, working with trans youth or or with queer businesses to help them access uh, different um, opportunities, um, you know, from a supplier perspective uh, or a vendor perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, just sharing what I've learned uh, in my world, corporately, Mm -hmm. professionally, personally, and and also learning, doing a lot of learning as well.
1: In terms of intergenerational conversations outside of mentoring, how do you think folks can kind of participate in that? And and what have you seen?
0: Like, I think the easy answer is online. For sure. Um, but something that I've really become aware of in the last 12, 12 months
1: mm-hmm.
0: is the online queer community, and more specifically, the online trans community uh, is overwhelmingly white and middle class. And so, um, how do you expand past that? How do you uh, expand? You know, how do you curate the, the opinions you're reading or, you know, what you're seeing or who you're seeing it from. Like if you're seeing, seeing the same 10 queer thinkers who are all, you know, white academics from, you know, the same universities in the northeast of the United States, then, you know, is your view going to be really shaped by what's actually happening and so yeah how do you search that out um you, you have to dig a little uh, I find um, I've really tried to be intentional about who I'm following why I'm following them um as well as just being involved in in your local community I think that's also incredibly incredibly important and it's hard sometimes some of us uh, are shy um or introverted Uh, i'm an extrovert who's shy so i'm kind (laughs) of
1: it's a
0: bit hard for me it's like i want to talk i want to share but also i'm i need to feel a little more comfortable before i do um
1: for sure are are there any resources that you've come across that you've found to be particularly helpful that's kind of outside of folks who are white, maybe from the BIPOC community um, that you've read about or seen?
0: Yeah, I think just following a lot of indigenous writers um, mm-hmm. is really, there, there are a lot of great indigenous thinkers here in Canada, uh, writers, um, activists. Um, I think Idle No More did a lot to really fire up a lot of people um, to really pursue something more assertive in terms of how, how they communicate with Canada. Like it's not the rest of like, you know I, I live on the unceded lands of the Coastal Salish here with the the Squamish, Suwetu, uh, and Musqueam people. Uh, so, you know I, I think that's really important as Canadians uh, to understand how we have benefited from genocide, uh, how we participate in settler society, um, and and how we come to reconcile that even within ourselves. Like you know, as, as a settler who is Catholic, like how do I, who, who I've met these teachers from residential schools as priests growing up, how, how, do, I, how do I square that circle in my head? I can't. Mm. Um, so, and it's not about me at all. Like I'm not the one who, who went through that. Uh, so I think that's, that's really important. Uh, during the Black Lives Matter, movement last year like I'm a, I'm a photographer I, I really try to follow a lot of photographers and I realize I, I don't follow I didn't follow a lot of black photographers just you know it wasn't intentional but it was something that I became aware of really quickly mm-hmm. um, and so I, I really made an effort to seek out uh, black editorial photographers street photographers like I you know I just followed one whom uh, you know I I had shot with once and you know was a friend and you know she pointed it out I was like wow yeah so you know that's been really great as well just to see creatively like because they you know to that diversity of thought and that diversity and expression i think people's lived experiences inform that but i think always you know understanding your privilege uh, in any given space and that there are people more marginalized and how do you create space for them to step in with you to wherever that is
1: Yeah. And I think you made an important point from, I mean, it's important to seek out different resources in terms of thought leadership um, and education, but also the creative space as well. I think maybe sometimes folks forget about that piece to kind of look for different creators and folks who have different perspectives from yourself.
0: Yeah. Um, Like I can shoot the same photo of, uh, you know, a 20 something year old white girl in a canoe with a hat uh, in Banff, but there's more out there, and I don't want to, I don't want to fill my brain with derivative creative ideas. So, so yeah, that's just something I've personally <laughs> taken from it. And uh, my my children are Cree, uh, you know, from the a Cree Nation in what we call Northern Manitoba, and the fact that they're the first uh, of their Family of you know the first generation of children mm-hmm. to not be seized or taken at birth or in early childhood. um It just uh, it horrifies me to think of you know what their um, you know ancestors went through what yeah. that that did to them intergenerationally.
1: For sure, and and it's something I feel like I could never imagine, and no amount of reading is going to let me understand what those folks went through. So, I. Uh, I think it's important to seek out those perspectives, for sure. Um, just to kind of switch a little bit to individual kind of identities, queer and LGBT plus are umbrella terms that kind of don't really fo- fully highlight the massive range of individual identities. What's the importance of leaders in, biz- in the business world to educate themselves on trans inclusion specifically?
0: I think one of the, the things that, that people can educate themselves about trans inclusion is um, it's not about the binary. Like, you know, a, a lot of, we, we grow up in this binary world of male and female and gender expression, gender identity is, is, is beyond that, really. Um, you know, whether that's people who, uh, you know, are, are non-binary or two-spirited or um, you know, I, I identify as a binary woman. Um, I have friends who are binary men who were assigned female at birth um but it's beyond that and so i think you know just expanding your thought beyond just that a or b one or two it's it's so much more mm-hmm. um and allowing space for people to figure that out and it might take a little while um you know people might uh bounce around a little, Um, you know, they might try out different names, they might try out different pronouns, um, and to give them the space to do that. And, you know, psychological safety is important in in any workplace. Um, You know, there's too many studies out there to list, but psychological safety is is critical. Um, So, yeah, allowing people the safety of knowing that they can do that and bring their full selves to work or, or explore what that means. From a trans inclusion perspective, understanding that, A lot of us are dealing with uh, additional mental health um, things that, you know, might not be presenting physically or as a result of repressing ourselves for so long are just starting to come out now. Um, You know, like there's a lot of disassociation with people uh, who stay in the closet for a long time. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, you know, depression, anxiety, addiction, these are all things that uh, are, are out there and just being aware of it. Um, ensuring your benefits plan, you know, covers mental health supports. Uh, there's, uh, I work in the benefits world and, you know, my employer offers gender affirmation benefits, uh, other insurance companies offer it as well. Like, you know, does your benefits plan include that? And I think finally, from a trans inclusion perspective, uh, specifically for someone who's just transitioning in the workplace or thinking of transitioning in the workplace or has just come out to uh, the important thing is that they not do the work uh, to educate their colleagues and educate their clients. Uh, this was something I learned uh, the hard way, uh, in that I was the one who did that, and I should have leaned on HR more. I should have um, had them. Like I, I was working for a multi-billion-dollar company. Like mm-hmm. I shouldn't have been the one, you know, after I just came out, who was explaining the differences between. Uh, you know, identity and expression. And I was still figuring it out. So it's emotionally exhausting. And I think Mm -hmm. if you allow the person to come out to transition, you should also provide, uh, there's enough third party resources out there. If you don't think you have it uh, or if you don't have an HR team in place, but don't expect them to do the emotional labor for
1: others. Yeah. And, and in that instance, I mean, my, initial response would be to pay a third party to to do that correct
0: yeah like um i, I don't know what the going rate is for uh, an inclusivity consultant for to come in for four hours or what have you uh, but uh it's i'm sure it's affordable uh, or yeah if you work for a large organization um your hr people should be aware of this, um, and if they're not, any new HR people because uh, diversity, equity, inclusion are, are really critical things in the HR world today. Uh, you know, I yeah. So I, I came out while I was at a multi-billion-dollar financial services organization. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many HR people they have, but they had a lot. And I read about this uh, person who came out at a bank here in Canada, and how their uh, their HR team, after they came out, sat down with all the, their co-workers and just walked through everything and, and, you know, helped the co-workers understand so that this person didn't have to do the, the explaining or, you know, deal with the the transphobia that that can come out like you know there's a lot of internalized transphobia that you don't realize is out there um until you encounter it uh, or you encounter it in yourself like even as a trans person there's times when i'm just like oh my god so um anyhow yeah that, that's the uh, things I, I think from a trans inclusion perspective uh, any employer regardless of size can can offer
1: mm-hmm. and you you spoke a little bit about- a little bit about psychological safety would you be able to kind of explain what that means to you um and kind of maybe what uh that would look like in in a workplace uh
0: yeah you know i think what it means to me is an ability to um communicate freely uh to offer input into uh, ideas projects plans uh to execute on something with autonomy um Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's from just purely a professional perspective. Like, how what I look for in mm-hmm. terms of safety in a workplace. Like, you know, can I tell my boss they're wrong? Um, you know, not not in a way that um, <laughs> you know gets me fired.
1: You're not yelling at them, but, <laughs> but
0: you know, like I, I think there's a different way we could do this. And here's my idea: like presenting a solution mm-hmm. as opposed to complaining about what's in front of us. Um, I think when it comes to just ourselves, um, you know, yeah, does that mean that as a person of colour or an Indigenous person, um, you know, like there's jokes told about me in the warehouse or, um, you know, as as a trans person, you know, people are laughing about the scene in that movie that they saw that, you know, is transphobic and, you know, makes me ill just to hear about it. you know, so that, that, that's important. I think also um, in terms of just that psychological safety, like you might not think that you've got someone in your workplace who's trans, uh, but or you might think you've never met someone who's trans, but I, I guarantee you, even though we're a percent of a percent in the population in Canada, you, you certainly have met someone, they're just in the closet and they're just waiting until they feel safe to come out. And they will remember Everything you say about this, uh, you won't remember it three years from now or five years from now, but they're going to remember how it made them feel and how it made them second guess whether or not it was a safe place for them to come out.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you're doing a really great job at, at putting yourself out there and making sure folks feel comfortable. I've I've noticed that on your Twitter, you've uh, posted daily selfies with the hashtag trans is beautiful, which I think is amazing. Can you share why that's important to you and and how it's been received when you post it?
0: Yeah. um, It's important to me both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, The one on Instagram I like to use a lot is uh, this is what trans looks like.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So I I think it's important uh, to show that Uh, just myself that these things happened and I can mark them as they happen, even on a daily basis um, to help me, you know, look back and realize how far I've come Uh, just in terms of healing as well. There's a lot of trauma involved in, um, you know, coming out in in later years as someone who's married and had children and just working through that Uh, and Catholic on top of that. So, you know, I I got it all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh i'm a big fan of therapy as well uh so so i'm going on friday
1: um i'm going next week (laughs) that's
0: important um but uh yeah i i I post these things um for me um but also um as kind of when i was in the closet i would secretly go on to reddit or instagram or twitter and i would look up different hashtags or before and after photos of trans people and i found it really helpful you know to like i would look up people who are my age you know um or how long they've been on hormones or or how long it's been since they've been full-time or or what have you full-time means living socially as as you know your preferred gender or your authentic gender um and uh so I, I try to give back in that way um it's not always comfortable um you know especially with the before and after photos like i just i don't recognize who that person is anymore
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh but i do it because i know it helps um and uh, yeah it's kind of like breadcrumbs if you will uh and um you know after uh, i spent a lifetime becoming a photographer to stay behind the camera. <laughs>
1: Because I was so in front of I, it <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I was so uncomfortable in front of it. and now I finally, 40 years later, I, I have an opportunity to, to smile and that that was the big comment from friends and family in the first kind of year or so is they'd never seen me smile so much. And uh, yeah, so I, I just it's not vanity all the time. sometimes it is, but that's um,
1: fine, I think it could be vanity. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So, um, you know, last night on Instagram, uh, so I had my first electrolysis session. Uh, So I I still need to shave every day. Um, Hormones doesn't change that. And so, or your voice uh, for those who are assigned male at birth. And so uh, one of the hard things, wasn't the pain, although getting electrolysis is about twice as painful as a tattoo and it's on your face.
1: That sounds very painful.
0: Uh, It was a little, yeah, my leg shot up like spasmed uncontrolled <laughs> a couple of times. Uh, but uh, one of the hard things wasn't the pain, but was that I had to let my stubble grow out for three or four days beforehand. And so uh, I had, a, you know, a, a goatee, if you will. And uh, so I posted a picture of myself post So still with the unshaven face on Instagram, just to show others, you know, what it looks like um, that, uh, know if they want to do it this is what they're going to be facing and uh also i'm still beautiful and uh, i'm going to share it
1: yeah hair doesn't mean you're not beautiful (laughs) and uh, kind of what i feel like the first time you decided to post this it would be very nerve-wracking what kind of gave you the the courage and the the impetus to post for that first time
0: um you know, the, the first time I posted a photo of myself on Facebook, mm-hmm. wasn't even on Instagram, uh, was uh, I'm going to say I'd been on hormones for about six or seven months. And um, I was just starting to, you know, go for coffee and lunch with friends and very small number of coworkers like clients who, you know, were supportive. And, um, and so, yeah, a friend came over, uh, who's a hairstylist, did my hair, showed me how to do makeup. And, uh, you know, I, I, looked at the photo she took and I was just like, you know, just cell phone photo. And I was just like, wow, I, I can do this. Um, and, uh, yeah, by that point, you know, I was separated. I was living in, you know, not a really nice apartment. Um, like I, I just had this feeling like I'd kind of lost everything or given up everything to get to this point, and I've gained so much more. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was just, I really jumped out of the airplane and figured out how to put my parachute on the way down and posted it and um changed my name I think as soon as I posted it It it's just like so I'd already legally changed my name like three or four weeks beforehand and uh I think I just did it all at once and just uh, and I'd already like come out to friends and family Mm -hmm. a few months before um while presenting mail still but um, you know, I was still using he, him pronouns. I was still um, using my, my former name, my dead name, we call him. And so, yeah, I, I just kind of said, screw it. And, you know, yeah, jumped out of the plane.
1: That's, that's amazing. And you mentioned meeting up with, um, with customers or colleagues that, that were supportive of you. And mm-hmm. I feel like navigating the corporate world, um, would maybe be a little bit more difficult and friends and families, potentially, I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but navigating the corporate world as a trans woman, what is some advice you would give to young trans folks entering a corporate workplace or already in a corporate workplace transitioning?
0: Um, you know, live your truth,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and don't be afraid to be who you are. Um, you know, dress how you feel comfortable. Uh, like a lot of the, a lot of places now have um, dress codes that are more, dress just for success, or you know, they're more kind of looser. Like it's not. Specifically, closed-toed shoes and blazers and pants or what have you. It's it's more like very general recommendations, and I think that allows for a lot of creativity uh, in uh, expression, clothing expression, and, mm-hmm. and gender expression. So yeah, I, I would say be professional when I mean, you, you're you're there to work. Um, you know, you want to take it seriously, uh, and uh, I I've always kind of been a big proponent of your external disposition is an indicator of your internal disposition and so yeah like in terms of goal setting uh, you you want to uh you want to move ahead and uh, to where you want to be mm-hmm. and, and you know if that's in your a different gender expression or gender identity or different pronouns or a different name um don't be afraid to do it. Um, like, don't hold yourself back uh, for someone else. Don't hold yourself back for a job. Don't hold yourself back for your manager. Um, you know, like if you keep waiting uh, for that ice cream, it's going to melt. So, um, you know, do what's best for you uh, and just take the leap. Understand your HR policies as well. Um, you know, we're so fortunate in Canada to have legislative protection, uh, you know, at a federal level. And then, you know, provincially, there's also different levels of protection based on where you live. Um, so, you know, understand that. Understand, you know, really what your rights are uh, mm-hmm. as a protected person, as a marginalized person, because they are there. Um, and understand what your company can do to support you. And, you know, maybe also understand that, the environment you're in might not be the best one for you to be your full self. Uh, for a lot of the reasons that we've discussed already today, you know, uh, and and you can tell those workplaces really quickly. You know, you, you might it might take some searching, but um, you find uh, an environment and a culture that will, uh, you know, not accept you or tolerate you. Like I, I tolerate. Uh, you know, soy milk when they don't have oat milk. Right. Um, But, you know, just a a place that where you're safe, where you're, you can be fully yourself and you can be recognized for the hard work that you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not always comfortable. And I remember the first time uh, walking into the office downtown Calgary with, uh, you know, in in a skirt and heels. (laughs) And I just, I'm sure it wasn't the case. Like people are doing their own thing. No one cares, but, you know, just seeing people's heads pop up and look out of the, up over the top of the cubicle, you know, I just felt like everyone was staring and it, it can be a little uncomfortable, but um, it goes away quickly, especially if, if you're doing a good
1: job. And I, I can't imagine what it would feel like to walk into that office for for the first time too. And I, I was
0: in a suit and tie environment, like very professional very, very so
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah like and and i just i had a skirt and i had a blazer and you know I, I still looked professional but it was just the first time
1: yeah and you waltzed in there in that skirt and blazer and looked amazing so <laughs> i
0: did i did yeah look <laughs> more amazing now but yeah
1: <laughs> well i mean just to kind of i know we're almost at time here but What's one thing our audience can take away from this conversation and implement in their businesses right now for entrepreneurs um, or more established businesses that you think would be helpful?
0: Uh, I think, you know, if you don't have an understanding of intersectionality and how that can apply to your workplace and your personal life, um, just start there. Just you know, ignore the politicization of of the term, especially you know from the culture wars from the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, just understand how you know we live. Uh, you know how, as a in, in a white supremacist society with structural racism, um, how that impacts people who are marginalized, and mm-hmm. how um, you know business really you know where most of us spend the bulk of our time uh, can play a key role in in helping dismantle that, Mm -hmm. uh, decolonizing our communities, um, and helping people, I think, be at work more fully as themselves across all those those intersections um, of oppression. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, I would just say start there.
1: Well, Kate, Thank you very much for being a part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. And I think there are so many takeaways from our conversation. I hope folks listening take your advice uh, and and move forward. I I really appreciate all of your insights that you've provided. It's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Have a great day, and We'll chat soon. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. To plug into the Startup Canada network, visit www.startupcan.ca. And to learn more about LGBTQ entrepreneurship across Canada, visit www.cglcc.ca. Until next time, I'm Pei Charla. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the full potential of women.